Thank you very much indeed for the welcome, Joel. It's been something that Lorna and I have been looking forward to very much, to spending these days with you in fellowship. We believe that the Lord will, will draw near to us and bless us. As I got out of the car today, I couldn't help thinking that uh, it was 50 years ago next month, that next week, 50 years ago next week, that I was ordained to the office of the ministry in Dervock Reformed Presbyterian Church, uh, not far away. And uh, whenever Professor Leahy was uh, preaching somewhere else, he had some of us to come here and preach regularly to the people there. And it's wonderful to see how the Lord has blessed you and uh, extended your presence here and is obviously blessing your witness. So we pray that he'll be with us in these few days. Uh, the, the general subject I chose was our calling in Christ. Uh, and I'd like us to begin this evening by called in grace. And perhaps we can begin by reading uh, a short passage from Galatians chapter 1, reading verses 11 to 17. Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 to 17. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently, and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had sent me set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his Son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. It's a short series of important studies this weekend. I've given it the general title of Our Calling in Christ. And as you'll see, the subject begins where Paul began, when he set himself to explain Christian identity. And our theme verse is Galatians chapter 1, verse 15. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace. And it's that last phrase. Called me by his grace. God was certainly active in his life before Paul was aware of it. As he puts it, he had set me apart before I was born. 
Literally, the Greek says, from my mother's womb. But here, in the words that we have before us this evening, is the moment when the eternal life dawned on him, who called me by his grace. Now, although the circumstances of Paul's call were unusual, every believer is called in grace. We're not riding along a road in the Middle East and knocked down to the ground by the sudden presence of Jesus. But it's the same. Look at verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. There's the same phrase. Called by grace. Called in grace. Christians are obviously are, are often described as the called. Romans 1.6 You who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. And this weekend, God willing, we look at three phrases. Called by grace. Called to be saints. And called to glory. So we begin then this evening with called by grace. And we want to ask some questions of this. First of all, who calls? Who calls? The answer is God. And here it's clearly God the Father. Paul makes that clear in verse 16. He says, He who was pleased to reveal his Son to me. To reveal his Son to me. It's the Father who's doing it. And how does he do it? He does it as in a way that God has always done it. By speaking. By speaking. It is God who calls the universe into being. Genesis 1.3 God said, Let there be light, and there was light. He called the universe. It's God who spoke to Adam in the garden. God spoke to Abraham from the land of Ur. God expressed himself, showed himself by speaking again and again and again throughout the Old Testament. There are over 700 uses of the verb, noun and adjective, call, in the Old Testament. God calls. We're told that he calls in mercy. He calls in judgment. He calls in appeal. His word comes to his creatures. And when we think of it, friends, surely it's absolutely amazing. God, 
speaks to us. The communication from beyond the world, from outside, from above it, God enters the universe and speaks to us. He calls. The initiative is entirely with God. He calls. We don't. The process originates with him and proceeds from him. Paul describes Christians in Romans 8, 28. For those who are called according to his purpose, God calls them. We see it of Saul of Tarsus when he's traveling to Damascus. We don't know what he's thinking of. But in Acts 22, 6, we're told that when he says, when great light from heaven suddenly shone around me and I fell to the ground and I heard a voice. I heard a voice. It is God who calls. And the ultimate explanation of what happened to Saul of Tarsus is to be found with God and what God did to him. The initiative was God's throughout from beginning to end. God started it and God did it. He called. And friends, that I think can bring us again to prayerfulness. Since the initiative in salvation is with God, it is to God that we must look when we're seeking the conversion of other people. People we know. People who belong to our family. And so often, I tend to forget that a little bit. So often, we focus on their present condition. Are they likely to to listen to me? Do I see a change in them? So often, we focus on how are we to reach them? How are we to speak to them? That is quite valid. Yes, we pray for these things. But the great question is this. Will God call them? Will God call them? And what we need to do, and I need to do, is to learn to plead with him to do so. For when he calls, they will react. If he does not call, they will not. God, who calls? God. But secondly, what does he do? He calls. That's obvious. It's a word of authority. In the Greek language, it's a very strong authority word. It's used of the official summons by an authority. We're told 
in Greek literature that the military forces call. The city assembly call. It's something, it's a message from those above us. The Old Testament emphasizes that. Calling comes in the Old Testament from those who are higher in rank than those to whom they're speaking. Parents call their children. Rulers call their people. And it's never a mere invitation. It's always a command. A command. God's call to humans is not a well-meaning suggestion. It's a mighty summons from the sovereign. Some voices carry authority. And God above all speaks with that power. This call is saving. Now there is a general call from God to all who hear the gospel. And often it's not working because those who hear it don't react. They don't believe. They don't follow the master. Matthew twenty-two fourteen: Many are called, but few are chosen. But then there's a call in the New Testament which is more particular, which it transforms, which it saves. Everyone whom God calls in this way responds in repentance and faith. Everyone whom God calls in this way responds in repentance and faith. Shorter Catechism number 31. Effectual calling. Perhaps I should stand someone to volunteer. Effectual calling is the work of God's Spirit wherein convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ, and renewing our wills. Here it is. He doth persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the gospel. He doth, this is calling, doth persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ. This is the inevitable link in the chain of salvation. Being called. You see it in Romans 8.30. He predestined. He called. He justified. He glorified. Those are the steps in what God is doing to every one of his people. And that's very, very hopeful. We're thinking sometimes about some who we long to see as Christians. And we're becoming discouraged. But friends, if it's God's purpose to call, he will call. And he will change them. How many are there 
who are expecting Saul's conversion. We need to pray for it. And yet the word, as well as the authority, also in the Bible, breathes a meaning of kindness and joy. That's part of the word also. Kindness and joy. Many authoritative calls are not welcome. I had several teachers and they were excellent at calling. And their calls were extremely authoritative. But we didn't welcome them. We didn't enjoy them. But one of the striking features of this word in the Bible is warmth. Privilege, which it often implies. It's used, for example, of the invitation to the banquet. There's a different translation, but it's the same Greek word. Luke 14:16. A man once gave a great banquet and invited, invited many. It could be and called many. Or John 2 2. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. Jesus was called to the wedding. There's kindness in it, there's joy. It's a good invitation. In the first century, we can see a hard working, simple society. And when a feast came to that society, it was something of joy. It was unusual. It was special. It was wonderful. And to be invited to the feast was to be invited away from your hard-working way of living. To be invited to something special. The privilege is even greater as seen in another meaning. The dictionary, the Greek dictionary says, claiming for one's own possession. Claiming for one's own possession. That, you see, was the signification of being able to name a child. Isaiah 43.1 Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. That was the calling. I have called you by name. You are mine. We see it in the New Testament. 1 John 3 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The person who is calling is saying, they belong to me. They are mine. That's what the call of God is. In calling, God invites us. He chooses us. He honors us. 
He claims us. My favorite Greek dictionary says it means to speak to another in order to bring him nearer. To speak to another in order to bring him nearer. That's what happens when God calls. I am your God and you're my people. Come to me. And so, friends, we see in the New Testament particularly, the Father is calling his people to Christ. And he's calling them to all the blessings of salvation. Let me give you a few examples. Galatians 5.13 You were called to freedom, brothers. Called to freedom. 1 Peter 2.9 The excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's what calling is. 1 Thessalonians 2.12 God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And my favorite, 1 Timothy 6.12 Take hold of the eternal life to which you are called. You are called to these things. That is God summoning his children, his people, those who are his own, in a powerful, transforming voice which changes them and brings them. And the early church, preaching the good news of Christ, used this word to summarize all of God's saving work. Acts 2.39 For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And it's vital to keep this in mind. The power, the strength, the beauty, the attractiveness of calling. It is a call to a stupendous blessing. It is a call which is absolutely wonderful, which should fill us with joy and delight. Lorna and I remember the habit of our second girl, Ruth, that when she heard something from us that pleased her or excited her, she just put her arms around her chest and just shook herself like this here. She was just, oh, just delighted, oh, delighted. That's the calling. That's the calling to a beloved father to be able to say, he called me. Can you say that? He called me. And when we hear that, we're not to be frightened. We're not to run away. It's the most glorious thing which can ever happen to anyone. An essential part of the gospel. The great and holy God calls sinners to his Son. Again, 
అందుకే సో సో ఫార్ వీవ్ సీన్ ద కాలింగ్ హూ కాల్స్ గాడ్ వాట్ డస్ హీ డూ వాట్ డస్ హీ డూ హీ కాల్స్ హూమ్ డస్ హీ కాల్ అట్స్ వర్ వీ ఆర్ నై హూమ్ డస్ హీ కాల్ ది ఆన్సర్ is extremely specific who called me by his grace who called me by his grace there's a very interesting verse acts 26:14 if i could get a glass of water i'm getting a bit choked acts 26:14 listen to it I heard a voice saying to me in Hebrew language Saul Saul There were two ways of pronouncing this name the gentile way and the Jewish way We also we almost always hear in the New Testament the gentile way But here it's given to us not as in other places the soul soul in the in the gentile way it would be sole sole that was the normal way of saying it but when you look at the greek text of this passage it's it doesn't say sole sole it says soul 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 he learned that at his mother's knee when he was a wee baby he learned that when he was growing up and nothing now could have been more personal to him such a loving way of hearing the call to him from god soul soul as his mother called him when he was a tiny boy no one else addressed him like that it is the one to one encounter one self and god who does he call me and friends it's important for us because of the criticism that the reformed faith is receiving that it is somehow inhuman we're told that humanists give great importance to human beings they are the important ones or many in evangelicals lay great stress on human abilities and human responsibilities and are telling us about them it is true that the reformed faith emphasizes a mighty god and critics are supposed to criticize to the extent that in the reformed faith men and women become obscure anonymous worms of dust distortion god is infinitely great human beings are dead and helpless in sin that's the reformed faith but no it doesn't the reformed faith gives to these lost sinners a value 
a dignity a place through God's mercy which is unparalleled popular evangelicalism teaches that the Father loves all humanity that Christ died for all humanity that God now calls the mass of humanity indiscriminately and then he waits and hopes that someone somewhere will respond to his call that's God he calls everybody we're told and he hopes that someone will respond the Bible teaches the Bible teaches that in eternity the Father chose to love certain individuals and he gave these individuals to his Son to be saved and God the Son came to the earth on behalf of these individuals and he kept the law for them and he hung on the cross in payment for their sins and he knew who they were he knew who they were and that God the Spirit applies to the same individuals the redemption purchased by Christ there's no anonymity here it's particular definite atonement and friends that is stupendous honouring humanity Paul knew his own wickedness Paul knew his own unworthiness and yet he could dare to say in Galatians 2.20 the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me son of God who loved me and gave himself for me that's the place of the individual in the Lord's eternal purpose God calls us by name God deals with us by name God encounters us in ourself here's the great part of security and the wonder of our salvation God called me God called me and that brings us fourthly to the question why does he call why does he call the answer is in our text grace grace some people would not be surprised if they were told that God is speaking to them they're full of themselves they think in fact that they're doing God favour by listening but Paul was not now so arrogant that God had called him 
had been a devastating shock to many people. Think, for example, of the, the, the Christians in Jerusalem whose houses had been destroyed, whose fathers had been murdered, whose wives had been imprisoned by Saul of Tarsus. And now we're told that God loves him and has received him. How can we believe that? And friends, it was a marvel to Paul himself till the day of death that he was a Christian. It stunned him. It shook him. It opened his heart. He was a Christian. Jesus Christ had died for him. And he was serving Christ. You remember 1 Corinthians 15.9 For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. How could I be an apostle? Or Ephesians 3, verse 8, the very least of all saints. I'll not get you into the Greek grammar, but it's a wonderful change. It's saying, I am the least of all saints. And Paul says, I am more. I'm less than the least of all saints. You see what he said? I'm less than the least of all saints. He's making a staggering point there. And what reason did, Paul, did God have for calling to himself Saul of Tarsus there's only one reason he called me by his grace he called me by his grace a free sovereign outflow of mercy to someone who deserved the opposite there was no other explanation and gladly as he rejoiced in his salvation Paul could never forget what he had been and what he had done and he never ceased to wonder at God's grace toward him the grace that he'd shown him he saw himself as an example an encouragement to others 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life Paul said why I'm living is to show that there's mercy in Christ for the worst that there's mercy in Christ for the worst and friends that indeed is salutary for every believer to remember never to forget it let it shape our living 
by the grace of God I am what I am what sort of face do we show to the world do we come across as self-righteous do we seem harsh sometimes do we think of ourselves being part of a moral majority no no with Paul we can say the very least of all saints and our message is that Christ only calls by grace and then this brings us fifthly and lastly to the final question how does he call how does he call and I've got to use the word in the text twice the first time grace we've had as the reason why God calls sinners to himself in his grace but I think that secondly it also means that it's an instrument the, the instrument he uses to bring them to himself the instrument he uses to bring them to himself he calls them by his grace this is how God calls us Ritterboss says care is not only the motive of the call but also its means that's good not only the motive of the call but also its means God summons Paul to himself by an outflow of loving mercy that's what's moving about the Damascus road the gentleness by which the Lord lays his hands on this man here friends is a blood-stained murderer here's a cruel ravager of Christ's people and yet what is all that Jesus says to him two things Saul, Saul why are you persecuting me I am Jesus whom you're persecuting that's all he says that's all he says it's amazing the gentleness the love the graciousness Saul, Saul why are you persecuting me I am Jesus whom you're persecuting there's no denunciation there's no piercing sword of the graciousness of the saviour friends there's not even one direct word of reproach it's not necessary once he has seen and heard Jesus Saul is his own accuser he's captured forever by the God who spoke like this to his enemy what sort of a God is this as he was later to write 
in 2 Corinthians 5.14 for the love of Christ controls us yes it is important to declare God's wrath against sin and sinners and it's not being done and it should be done much more in the churches it's important to speak of the fierceness of God's judgment of the terrors of hell these things are neglected overlooked and it's a weakness but what finally draws us I think almost invariably is God's grace God's grace breaks our hearts God's grace overwhelms us with sorrow God's grace calls us to come to him the holy almighty God whom we have so grievously offended nonetheless he has sent his begotten son to suffer and die for us and he comes now in his mercy to us and he offers full salvation full forgiveness and life everlasting to us this friends is how powerfully it draws us the catechism again number 87 repentance unto life is a saving grace whereby a sinner out of a true sense of his sin and an apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ that's what does it a true sense of his sin and an apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ isn't this how God calls us isn't this how we should deal with each other not ferocious not angry not vicious yes hurt sad but speaking to one another with love and mercy this is the atmosphere in which Christ's churches live and breathe kindness compassion a forgiving merciful spirit refuges of grace and this also is what brings the backsliding believer back in penitence his realization of God's graciousness and patience which he for so long has abused you remember Peter against the warning of his Lord he has denied Jesus again and again and suddenly the Lord turns round and looks at him that's all not a word not a word he looks at him and that brings
breaks Peter's heart. And he sobs and sobs in the sorrow of what he's done. It was the love of Christ which broke his heart. I remember a disaster I had. I think it was probably 1950 or 1951. I wasn't very old. But at Christmas, I got a plane from my father. A plane with long strings in it. And you could put it up in the air and work the strings and it would fly in the air. So I took it out to Hillsborough Drive just round from our house on Boxing Day, on Christmas Day before our visitors came and tried to get the plane going. I was probably five or six. Unfortunately, it didn't go well. And the string started getting tied up and tied up and tied up more and more and more. And I remember kneeling on the ground in desperation trying to trying to sort the whole thing and I was only getting it worse and worse and, and the fear what was daddy going to say I just got it it was expensive it was a present what's he going to say I just and I brought it round trembling and my father said to me don't worry Teddy I'll fix it tomorrow In that moment, I felt love, my father's love. He wasn't angry. He could have been angry, but he wasn't angry. He was going to fix it because he loved me. And that's the father we have. That's the father we have. His kindness and his love, his gentleness. And you and I can come to the father. Say, Father, Daddy, here it is. It's my fault. I'm very sorry. He'll put his arm around you and assure you of his forgiveness. It's sometimes hard to plead with the Lord to save us. But it's a saving call. Perhaps even there's some here and you haven't come to living relationship with God. Your hearts are hard. You have no intention of responding. Dear friend, don't make a mistake. You will respond. Everybody on this earth will respond. At death, at the last day, plead with the Lord to save you. And he'll send a saving call. And the rest of us Christians needing to change. Would God want me? Does God want me? Listen. Listen to him calling you by your name. By your name. To his son. To life. His arms open. Please do not reject 
this call. As the psalmist put it today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Amen.